Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm your host, Kayla White. The West Valley is home to 1.7 million people, and it is still growing, according to data collected by the Western Maricopa Coalition. They anticipate that over the next 25 years, 49.5% of the growth in Maricopa County will happen in the West Valley. That's vastly different from what it was like in the beginning of the 20th century. Before Arizona had towns like Avondale, Goodyear, and Litchfield Park, the West Valley was barren. The Southwest Valley um, was virtually all desert. There was a bit of farming and of course, um, present day Avondale uh, began with a little small stagecoach stop that was called Coldwater. That's Judy Cook. She's an archivist with the Litchfield Park Historical Society. In today's episode, we're diving into the history of the Southwest Valley. What took it from the desert Judy described to what it is today? And we're doing that thanks to a question from a listener named Dale. He asked how Paul Litchfield shaped the valley. Answering that question is producer Maritza Dominguez. Maritza, take it away. Before we can understand how Paul W. Litchfield shaped the West Valley, let's talk about the man himself. Litchfield joined Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company in 1900, just two years after its creation. Litchfield was a 24-year-old man who'd recently graduated from Massachusetts Institute of Technology with a chemical engineering degree. In the Goodyear Company newspaper Wingfoot Clan, it said Litchfield investigated various industries that he could enter with his experience. One of those was the rubber industry. The article from the Wingfoot Clan said this, Although the smell of rubber was violently repugnant to him, he reasoned that the infant industry probably offered better opportunity than any of the others. He worked for a company manufacturing bicycle tires before being recruited to join Goodyear. He moved from Boston to Akron, Ohio, where Goodyear was based, to work as a factory superintendent. I spoke with Victor Fleischer, the University of Akron archivist, and author of the book, The Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, A Photographic History. From what I've read in his memoirs, you know, brought in at 24 to be superintendent and factory manager. He was supervising a lot of older gentlemen that had probably more experience in the in the rubber industry. You know, didn't take too kindly to this young buck uh, bossing them around. But uh, again, incredibly intelligent, MIT educated, uh, chemical engineer, um, just incredibly intelligent. From there, he worked his way up in the company where he became a factory manager in 1915. The company ran into a bit of a problem at that time. Goodyear bought cotton from Egypt to manufacture their tires, and they needed a specific type of cotton to produce longer-lasting tires. So they needed a long staple cotton, uh, which could only be grown in a couple regions in the world, particularly Egypt, which during World War one was hard to get exports out of Egypt. Um, Britain was there and they needed all that long staple cotton for their own products, particularly for the war. The cotton fields in southern states were dealing with an infestation of boll weevil beetles that fed on cotton flowers. It decimated the industry at the same time the war pushed demand for cotton. 
destroying the boll weevil was an added expense. Increased expenses, poor crops, and uncertain prices for their crops encouraged many farmers to leave the land and move to the towns and cities to work at other jobs. That's when Litchfield looked to the Southwest. So the government had done some studies out in uh, the Salt River Valley, thinking that this was a perfect climate to grow cotton. And uh, it's because it's so similar to the climate in Egypt. In 1916, Litchfield came to Arizona and tried to convince farmers in the area to grow long staple cotton. That's the cotton they needed for their tires. However, none of them agreed to it. So he went back to Akron and he told them, I think what we need to do is to buy and lease our own land in the Salt River Valley and grow our own cotton. So the powers that be at the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company uh, said, yes, that's a good idea. And they came out here and in very early 1917, like January 1st, practically, uh, they began two ranches. One was in Chandler in present, the present-day Ocotillo area. The other was out here along the Awafria River, and they called that Litchfield Ranch. And then a couple of years later, they added a third ranch up in the um, Sun City area. That was called Marinette Ranch. And those three ranches formed what was called the Southwest Cotton. Litchfield loved Arizona, and so he made it his second home. It also became the headquarters of the Southwest Cotton Company. By 1928, the area got its name, Litchfield Park. It is Paul Litchfield's namesake. So Paul Litchfield loved Arizona, and he bought a property at the north end of Litchfield Park. Uh, It's a hill, called it Rancho La Loma, and that was kind of his retreat They were little, uh, fairly primitive cottages where the family could come out and spend vacation time out here. And it also had a fairly large citrus orchard. The Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company began venturing into manufacturing airplane tires in the subsequent years after World War I. The company also dealt with economic fallout from the Depression of 1920 and 1921. The original owners of Goodyear were pushed out. F.A. and C.W. Seibling, the founders of Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, over-invested in, uh, in, in um, raw materials like rubber and cotton uh, in the early 20s. Then we had the economic depression in the early 20s, um, and the, the, the price dropped, and they're really in a, in a pickle, so to speak, in that um, they kind of over-invested and over-stocked over, uh, those, those raw materials. In the following years, the company shuffled through various presidents, until 1926, when Paul Litchfield was elected to the position. By the 1940s, Goodyear downsized some of their property in the state. Two of the ranches in the Chandler and Sun City area were closed. That left Litchfield Ranch as the only Goodyear cotton farm. Then again, the U.S. faced another world war, and Goodyear products were in demand once again. After the attack at Pearl Harbor in 1941, Litchfield said this in a statement. I want to impress upon everyone that everything this company has is dedicated to the cause of America's fight for freedom. Six months before Pearl Harbor, the huge airship dock stood all but empty with only 60 employees. 
Two years later, 30,000 men and women were working in a plant seven times as large. This is the story of Goodyear Aircraft Corporation at Accra. That same year, Litchfield built a factory to produce airplane parts in the state. Litchfield was praised by leaders in Arizona for recognizing the state's industrial potential. Governor Sidney Preston Osborne was quoted in the Arizona Republic on July 28, 1941, saying, Once again, Arizona is indebted to Paul Litchfield. He also said it was the start of a whole new era for the state's community. So Goodyear's employees got to work. So they knew this was coming. They they got together, they got it going, and they built parts for the PB2Y3 flying boats. They built parts for the Corsairs. Those are those planes that kind of fold up their wings like uh, grasshoppers on the, on the um, ships out in the ocean. And Goodyear produced all of that down there in that particular building. There were a number of buildings. And then they also built a runway for the uh, planes for the Navy so that they could come in there and be repaired or be stored or whatever. This included a woman named Laura Harris. You met her in last week's episode. She was also the wife of the Arizona Republic's first Black journalist, Richard E. Harris, although they would marry after the war. Just like around the country, women like Harris entered the workforce to help the war effort. Well, I know that they had all nationalities working there. Oh, so it's quite uh-huh. a mix there. Yeah, and they had, um, they had, uh, well, see, practically all the men were gone off to the service. Mm-hmm. So most of the men were either uh, old or wasn't qualified to be in the service. You're listening to audio from an interview conducted by Don Nave of Laura Harris in 1999. Harris described her time working at Goodyear Factory. And because of the need for workers, Goodyear hired just about anyone who could do the job. It was just, it was just a labor shortage and they needed, they needed people, so there really wasn't that much of a qualification. Harris said she made more money working at the factory than as a domestic worker. Oh, no, as, as a riveter, they, they paid a lot more, but I don't really remember what it was, but I know that it was a lot more. They worked on assembling the aircrafts. We made the trailer edges. We had to, uh, the materials were brought in, and we laid them out and, and uh, drilled where the rivets needed to go and then put rivets in. The area where the factory was built was still secluded from Phoenix, so Goodyear had to find a way to get their employees to work. They had buses to pick us up in Phoenix and take us out to Goodyear and, and bring us back. Oh. Uh-huh. We, we would meet downtown in Phoenix and they would pick us up. Were you not allowed to drive out there or, or most people just Well, didn't? we didn't have cars. You know, most of us didn't have cars. You know? And it was much more convenient to pick up everybody. Laura Harris would leave Goodyear at the beginning of 1945 to work at a drugstore. The production of these airplane parts was immense in a small state like Arizona in the 1940s. There were over 7,000 employees. They ran three shifts, 24 hours, um, to produce things for the war effort. And we believe that particular factory was probably the largest employer in the state at that time. What certainly was along 
with Goodyear Farms when you put the two together. Well, that was the start of the town of Goodyear. So by the late 40s, then we have the incorporation of Goodyear. Litchfield would continue to make improvements to tires and experiment on farming equipment. Here's Victor Fleischer again. In addition to um, growing cotton in Arizona, uh, those cotton plantations also became kind of a testing ground, a proving ground for not only uh, tractors, but also tractor tires and farm implement tires that um, Paul Litchfield also helped um, you know, push in advance and get on the maps. According to Judy, Litchfield was beloved by employees and had a philanthropic nature. He also encouraged um, uh, having benefits in the factory. For instance, a room where if people were sick, they could go to and be taken care of. He encouraged um, the hiring of anybody who was physically challenged. He created company baseball teams, so that the employees could have some fun and learn to work as a team outside of their daily jobs. So it was a way of encouraging people to be connected on many levels who work together. <clears throat> and um, that just produced a better product. And I've had people who have worked for these Goodyear subsidiaries tell me that back in the day it was family. Litchfield stayed with the company for 58 years and served as president, chairman, and CEO. Six months after retiring, he underwent surgery at a hospital in Phoenix. And he developed an embolism, and he died from that. So he died here in Arizona, which uh, was a place that he truly loved. Um, if it wasn't for Paul Litchfield, I know that this land would not have been kept by Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company for 70 years, which is a long time to hold it by a company. And uh, they held a memorial service out here on top of the hill. And then his body was taken back to Akron for burial. Paul W. Litchfield not only has a town in Arizona named after him, but his impact helped develop the West Valley into what it is today. His tenacity to utilize the land in the state brought people to work in the farms and later in the factories of the Goodyear Rubber and Tire Company. Judy, along with her colleagues at the Litchfield Park Historical Society, are trying to preserve that history, along with the other communities' impacts in the West Valley. Um, very few people know about this history, which is why we have established the museum. And uh, we hope to go to the top of the hill and have a much more expanded museum. It will be called the P.W. Litchfield Heritage Center. Uh, we have a huge collection of Mexican-American history. We have published a book on that history. And uh, there's a lot to see out here that we eventually hope to showcase. Hey, listeners, it's me, Kayla, again. What a fascinating story about one man's legacy in Arizona. As a note, audio in today's episode comes from the Arizona Historical Society and Periscope Film, LLC. If you are interested in learning more about Arizona characters, submit your questions to us at valley101.azcentral.com. And if you're a regular listener of our show, please consider supporting it by subscribing to azcentral.com. 
And as always, thank you for listening to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. See you next week.